Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 72. So then guys, this week I'm embarking on yet another chapter of the War of the Bounty Hunters massive 34-issue crossover event. So if you haven't joined in before, make sure you check out episodes 60, 64, and 68. I know there are three previous episodes, so this should be the fourth chapter, but episode 60 was the prelude, uh, which is all just kind of wrapping up a lot of the existing storylines from all of the multiple ongoing series that are involved in this crossover. And if you haven't listened to Star Wars Comics in Canon before, I want to clarify, I'm going to go through each of these comics, give you bullet points of what the plots are, and talking about the many connections they have to other Star Wars content, including giving species and planets and character information and that sort of thing. And also it serves as a good refresher for people who've read the comics and want more info, or for people who don't have time or the money to be able to read all these comics, but still want to know the plot information and the stories around these big events in the canon. So for this instalment, there are six comics, and the reading order for this, and the order I'm going to go through, is going to be Bounty Hunters 15, Forlom and Zuckus 1, War of the Bounty Hunters 3, Star Wars 16, Darth Vader 15, and Doctor Aphra 13. And I also want to clarify that this is the second run of Star Wars, the second run of Doctor Aphra, and the third run of Darth Vader. When we get to the specific comics, I will confirm when they are released and the personnel involved with them, you know, the writer and etc. And I will also read out the crawl before delving into things. So guys, with that all in mind, let's get into the first comic. And this is Bounty Hunters 15, called The Gathering. So it's written by Ethan Sachs, the artist is Paolo Villanelli, and the colour artist is Arif Prianto, and it was released August 4th, 2021. So, here's the crawl. Jabba the Hutt has put a bounty on Boba Fett's head. Valance and Dengar are determined to find Fett first. Valance is desperate to save his old friend Han Solo, who is in the hands of Crimson Dawn, and Dengar has an agenda of his own. Meanwhile, Toonga and Losha found the Mourner's Whale Syndicate decimated by Crimson Dawn. Toonga won't rest until the heir to the Mourner's Whale and Unbroken Clan is safe. On Nar Shaddaa, Valance was wounded by the Crimson Dawn assassin Deathstick. Dengar and Valance manage to narrowly escape, but time is running out to find Han and Fett. I want to add in here that I know it's meant to be Han, I can't help but saying Han, that's how Lando says it, even though it's wrong, I'm really sorry guys. But with that all in mind, let's get into the story. So it starts in Coronet City on Corellia, where Vakura enters a safe house. A guard is killed, Deathstick is there, Vakura then kills the other guard because he's either a traitor or he's completely incompetent, and Deathstick gives Vakura the invite to the Crimson Dawn auction, as the Unbroken Clan leader is an old man who's basically just locked himself in a tower since his daughter died, so Vakura is kind of like the by-proxy leader. So Corellia should be a place that is familiar to you guys. You know, these War of the Bounty Hunters comics, although Han is not in it, well, obviously he is, but he's frozen in carbonite, although he's not in it consciously, there are still a lot of connections to Solo, a Star Wars story. So Corellia is the place where Kira and Han are actually from. And in the previous episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon, number 71, where I tackled the 2020 Afro comic, the second volume of it, which leads straight into the first volume of War of the Bounty Hunters, in that I gave some information about Corellia, So if you want a lot more information on Corellia, make sure you go back and listen to that. But in brief, it's very similar to Earth, 25-hour days, 329 days a year, and the population is about 3 billion. And fun fact, Dengar is also from Corellia. It's also worth noting that although Vakora has been in the run of Bounty Hunters comics, which I have not yet tackled on Styles Comics and Canon, you know, the ones that are set before War of the Bounty Hunters, but Vakora was also in the Doctor Afro comic that I tackled last episode, and she actually gets shot in the eye by Sana Staros. So while this is going on, Dengar and Valance are on Nar Shaddaa. They need to leave, and the only way off they can find is by using some public transport. They go on the ship, and then it's confirmed it's actually going to take two days to take them to where they need to go. And uh, Dengar also mentioned Manaru. 
Now, Manaru is a love interest, primarily from Legends continuity, where she actually stopped Dengar from killing Boba Fett after Dengar found him when he was outside the pit of Carcoon, which is, you know, the Sarlacc. So, in Legends, Manaru actually helps Dengar save Boba. In this, obviously at present time, the whole stuff of Boba Fett hasn't happened. Obviously, in the book of Boba Fett, we are likely to get answers to how he escaped the pit of Sarlacc in canon continuity. But all you need to know really is Dengar's got a love interest called Manaru, And as confirmed, I believe in the last installment of War of the Bounty Hunters, it was confirmed that Jabba the Hutt is holding her hostage. So meanwhile, Toonga and Losha are on Narkanji. They watch lots of people fighting in like a cage match in essence, and they need to have a crew, so they're trying to find some tough people there. They watch the underdog, Tasu Leech, fight a guy called Rodrigo Battle, which is a really massive Zabrak. Tas is smaller, he's nimble, he manages to not get hit, and he actually cuts off Rodrigo Battle's arm, which is it's a cybernetic arm, and he also slices off one of his horns. Toonga and Losha say how impressed they were with Tasu, and then he just mentions that Syfak sent him their offer and he agrees to it. Once again, I mentioned Syfak in episode 71 of Styles Comics and Canon. He basically just helps sort out when a bounty gets put out. He distributes it, in essence. Now, Tasu Leech, he's a character whose name should be quite familiar to you guys because he is actually in The Force Awakens. He's not a very big character in it. I think he has like one line in the whole thing, but he's still important nonetheless. So he's actually in a group called Kanja Club, which obviously came from Narkanji. He speaks a language called Jablogian, and the way you'd recognise him is if anyone has seen The Raid and The Raid 2, which are both incredible martial arts films, there's two main actors in The Raid films, and one of them, the one I'm speaking about, is Yayan Ruhian. He's Indonesian, and... In The Force Awakens, it's that part where Rey and Finn meet up with Han and Chewie. Han has collected some Rathatars, which are those absolutely terrifying creatures that like roll. They've got loads of eyes, gigantic mouths and tentacles. And because the Rathatars get let out by accident by Rey, then they go and basically kill the gangs which were hunting Han for the money he owes them. So one of the people there who spoke to Han when, when Han says something like, um, you can't trust anything those little freaks say. And then the other guy's like, tell that to Kanja Club. And then he turns and then you see the two guys there and they speak and then subtitles come up that's who i'm referring to so tasu leech is one of those he does die in the force awakens i think he gets grabbed by the tentacle of the rathatar and then eaten but that was like 30 years after this so he's still got plenty of life ahead of him before his pretty horrendous death so Dengar and Valance land on Canto Bight, which is the casino city which you see in the last jedi when rose and finn head there to try and get the master codebreaker they're trying to be inconspicuous. They walk there and then get confronted by Just Lucky and Ario Yu. It's confirmed that Dengar owes the sixth kin a lot of money. And Just Lucky and Ario are in the Dr. Afro comics at the moment. And when I do tackle the Dr. Afro comic in this episode, you'll hear more about them. But Just Lucky and Ario Yu leave, assumedly to attend this Crimson Dawn auction. And Valance and Dengar speak to Wen Delphis. Valance and Dengar are talking about how they want to get Solo, and Wen mentions that Crimson Dawn have taken his cargo away from Boba Fett, so now they have to go get it from Crimson Dawn. Valance notes that Wen's heart rate actually increased at the mention of Crimson Dawn, so instead of being killed by Wen, because Wen is like, oh, I've got no more use for you, might as well kill you, because, you know, crime lords, I guess, and obviously the amount of money that Dengar seemingly owes them, Valance offers to make Crimson Dawn's life a little bit more difficult in exchange for them being able to live. Wen agrees and then allows Valance and Dengar to go to that party, and so they head off. Meanwhile, Losha and Toonga head to the Gand Floating Sanctuary to get Zuckus, and after a bit of whining and things, he does agree to help them. And Zuckus features in the next issue, so I'll give a bit of bio information then. Valance and Dengar manage to get to Dengar's ship, which is called the Punishing One, which the ship model is called a Jumpmaster 5000, the same as it was in Legends. And a fun little fact, Dengar barely has any space on board, and he doesn't have a break because he primarily takes in bounties that require the target to be killed, so he doesn't need anyone to be brought on alive for comfort. It's also confirmed that in Legends, Dengar's Jumpmaster 5000 is heavily modified. That hasn't been explicitly confirmed in canon, but I would presume it's the same. Before they can get onto the ship, Deathstick then attacks them, manages to beat Valance and Dengar pretty badly, throws Valance through a window, and then by the time Valance kind of gets back to where Dengar is after they've both been beaten up quite badly, she's left them, and Dengar managed to swipe an invite for the Crimson Dawn auction so they can attend. And obviously Deathstick is a Dathomirian, who is an assassin who started in the Star Wars Uprising game, but I've given all details about her previously, and she will be popping up again here in this episode. And that is the end of Bounty Hunters 15, which means we move on to the next comic, which is Forlom and Zuckus 1.
So this comic is named Zuckus Must Die. It is written by Daniel Jose Older. The artist is Kay Zama and the color artist is Felipe Sombrero. This comic was also released August 4th, 2021. The events of this comic take place after War of the Bounty Hunters number one. And although the character in this 4LOM is a droid and people call him 4LOM, I've never called him 4LOM and I hate saying it, I prefer 4LOM, so I'm going to call him 4LOM. I'm sorry if that upsets any of you guys, but here's the crawl. Gand Feinsman Zuckus and droid 4LOM are one of the best and most dangerous bounty hunting duos in the galaxy. Recently, Jabba the Hutt placed a bounty on Boba Fett and Zuckus and 4LOM intercepted Fett on Narshadar to bring him in. It didn't go well. Fett left Zuckus for dead on Narshadar and took off with a disabled Forlom. So Forlom and Zuckus are two bounty hunters, obviously as confirmed in that crawl, that work together. And they are actually two of the bounty hunters that are seen on the ship in Empire Strikes Back when Vader collects a group of them. There's Boba Fett, there's Dengar, there's Forlom, there's Zuckus, there's IG-88, and there's Bosk. All of which have shown up in the War of the Bounty Hunters so far, as well as lots of other bounty hunters. Now, Zuckus is a Gand, that's his species specifically, and he has to use a breathing tube when he's on any planet that isn't Gand-friendly, in essence. So in the previous comic, when Toonga and Losha went to visit him, they had to wear special suits to be able to breathe due to the amount of ammonia and all kinds of other stuff in the air. But it's one of the only times, I think the only time in canon, where you actually get to see Zuckus without his sort of face mask thing on. But for the majority of this comic, he does have the face mask on again because he is on planets where you can breathe air, which is not what his species, the Gand, can breathe. And he's also a findsman, and essentially it means that he has some strange sense to be able to find people. Um, I don't know if that means he's Force-sensitive in some way. I don't know if that means the Gand in general are kind of like that. I haven't seen any other Gand in Star Wars like prevalently, I think there might be a couple in the background of certain shots, but generally haven't seen them. And Forlom is a protocol droid, or was a protocol droid, but the droid model itself, as an LOM units, were created to look like the Gand people. And so when you look at Forlom and Zuckus, they look quite similar, especially their eyes and the sort of mouth area. And a lot of the LOM units malfunctioned in some way, and then they became, you know, bounty hunters or assassin droids, things like that. Not dissimilar to the IG units, really. So this comic starts with some Jawas on Tatooine that seem to have found something. Then it cuts to Zuckus, who is injured. He stumbles into a bar and meets someone called Trot. Now, Trot is the species Alurman. So Lerman have appeared in elsewhere in the canon. They're about a metre tall. I would describe them kind of like lemurs. They are mammalians, so they are mammals, but they kind of look like one metre tall lemur people. They're from Mygito natively, but in season one of the Clone Wars, episodes 13 and 14, there is actually a tribe of them on Maradun. And during the High Republic era, there is actually a Lerman Jedi Master called Gictu Nelmo, who was respected for her considerable force powers. So, you know, there are Lerman in the galaxy, but if you really want to see them, Clone Wars is probably your best bet. Unless, obviously, you're reading this comic, and then you'll see. With the Zuckus in this bar talking to this guy Trot, he is sad about Forlom being destroyed. Trot says that he saw that his head was actually taken by Boba Fett, and then Zuckus reminisces, working with the person Devar Lompop, who was actually in the previous War of the Bounty Hunters spin-off comic, which was the Jabba the Hutt comic, and she's like, I think, hundreds of years old, if I'm not mistaken, and some interesting species. But if you guys want more information on her, then go back and listen to the second installment of War of the Bounty Hunters. So anyway, she commands like a group of bounty hunters to go and find this person and try and kill them. So obviously Zuckus is a findsman and he's very good at finding people. And the bounty is for someone called Dr. Kriberiz Idolax. Then back to Tatooine, it shows that the Jawas give something to a human. Bit of information about Jawas here. In canon and in legends, it is not known what is underneath a Jawas hood. They are native to Tatooine, but they are also found across the galaxy in different places because some of them travel a little bit, and they actually can speak two languages. The main language is Jawaese, which is you know what they speak to each other, but then there's also something called Jawa Trade Talk, which is what they use to speak with people who can't speak Jawaese, which is the majority of people, which I presume is kind of almost like a simplified version of the language. And also, fun fact, which confirmed in the Aftermath trilogy of books by Chuck Wendig, it was actually Jawas that found Boba Fett's armor after he escaped the pit of the Sarlacc. Obviously, if you've been watching the Mandalorian series too, or if you've read the Aftermath books, you'll know that Cobb Vanth had Boba Fett's armor, and he kind of goes through that a little bit there, but it was first mentioned in the Aftermath books. Back to Zuckus reminiscing, it shows him and Forlom find that bounty target they were looking for, and they shoot him. 
Now, Dr. Cribberis idolax is a species called a Caliceto. In essence, they're mosquito people. So they drink blood. You can see them in The Force Awakens as well as in the Darth Maul miniseries. And I can call them mosquito people because Caliceto is inspired by a species real name, which is Caliceta, which is actually a real genus of mosquitoes. But you get to see them in The Force Awakens uh, for a moment, I believe, in Maz Kanata's castle. So back on Tatooine, that human character is called Ramsin, and they actually give the head of Fallom to another Kalaseto who yells out revenge when he holds it high. Now Ramsin's name is Sardis Ramsin, and is actually a stormtrooper deserter. He's in the certain point of view book from A New Hope in the story called Born in the Storm, and unsurprisingly that short story was written by Daniel Jose Older, who wrote this comic as well. And for any of you who may recognize the name Daniel Jose Older, he's actually one of the authors who is sorting out the High Republic at the moment. He is doing the High Republic Adventures comics, which are excellent, uh, which I'll be tackling at some point in the months to come. And he also wrote the Race to Crash Point Tower book, and I believe he's also got another book on its way. So back at this bar that Zuckers is moping around in, he senses Forlom. So he runs outside into some alleyways and things, and then sees this genuinely terrifying thing. It's got Forlom's head on this giant body with like eight legs. It's kind of a cross between a mechanical spider and General Grievous with the head of Forlom on it, and it is, yeah, it's just terrifying. So Forlom attacks Zuckus, yelling out that Zuckus must die, obviously the name of this comic, and Zuckus is very sad about it. However, his friends, you know, Trot and a couple of other people that Trot knows, try and help him out and try and fend off Forlom. One of them manages to shoot Forlom in the head with a sniper rifle. It doesn't seem to kill him, it just slows him down a little bit. People are like tussling with Forlom quite a lot, and then Zuckus, after he kind of snaps out of moping around, charges into Forlom and smashes him into a wall. He gets in close and then notices some strange familiarity, and then he senses something nearby. So he runs into a nearby alleyway and finds another Kalaseto. It turns out this other Kalaseto he found was actually the brother of the doctor he killed in those flashbacks when he was with Forlom. Then you get another flashback, so it shows that there's the doctor and the brother. So the doctor's the one that they killed, the brother is the one who put Forlom's head on this body. So it turns out that the doctor was actually a good person, he was like a philanthropist, and then the brother found the doctor after he'd been killed, basically cut in half in essence by Zuckus and Forlom, and the brother himself was actually a bad person, and so after the brother found the corpse, he then vowed revenge. So to quote Zuckus, he kind of starts walking away saying, you know, he's deeply moved by the connection between you and your brother. It reminds Zuckus of the connection between Zuckus and Forlom. And he says, which is why? And then turns around and yells, Zuckus must destroy you again. And then just shoots the guy. And yeah, it just absolutely cracked me up. I thought it was really funny because it was just so unexpected. I also forgot to mention, because obviously I'm trying to give you guys like footnotes information, Zuckus always refers to himself as Zuckus. He never says I, he just says Zuckus. No idea why that is, but that's what he does. So after he shoots this guy, he then takes the controller that seems to be controlling Forlom, he destroys it and then goes back to where the gang are kind of fighting Forlom. Forlom goes a bit weird, there's like sparks and stuff all around him, and then he kind of stumbles away muttering to himself. And then the final panel of this comic is Zuckus then standing, looking sad once again, feeling sad and alone, while Trot and the other people around him are kind of like high-fiving, thinking that they beat this Forlom creature, because it was just terrifying, as I keep saying. But yeah, that's a lot of information and a lot of connections about Zuckus and Forlom. So with all that in mind, that means we move on to the next comic, which is the flagship title, War of the Bounty Hunters 3. The story is called The Crimson Blade. The writer is Charles Saul. The artist is Luke Ross with help from David Messina. And the colour artist is Niraj Menon with help from Guru EFX. And this comic was released in August 8th, 2021. So here is the crawl. Boba Fett claimed the bounty on notorious smuggler and rebel officer Han Solo. But Solo was stolen from Fett by Crimson Dawn and their leader, Kira. Fett's battled bounty hunters and criminals from Narshadar to Tatooine to make it to Kira's auction. Now, Darth Vader is the latest to claim Solo as rightfully his. So, War of the Bounty Hunters 3 starts with Vader telling Dark Troopers to kill anyone that prevents him from taking Han, Jabba included. Jabba stands up to Vader and says that he owns him fair and square, and while they're sort of arguing, you can see Boba Fett is hiding away, like really far in the distance. From the previous issue, just running into Leia, Lando, and Chewie and 3PO. While out of earshot, Boba confirms that Solo is actually his, and he's preventing Leia and the gang from getting any closer to Solo. Leia tells Chewie to take Boba Fett down quietly, and before they start fighting, Boba points to a braid that he's got, and he says that that was made from Wookiee hair. It might have been Chewie's uncle or auntie or something, and Boba is warning Chewie that he has killed Wookiees before. 
Chewie then grabs him and lifts him up by his throat. And while this is happening, you see Sana and Afra kind of sneak away because they're obviously all in the same place at the moment. And Kira comments to one of her advisors that she knows how to hand away Sith Lord, obviously referencing Darth Maul. Vader tells Sly Moore, the administrator, that she failed because he was hoping that the Empire was going to outbid Jabba the Hutt so they could just take Solo. And then Vader says that everything around here belongs completely to the Emperor because you're all part of the Empire and therefore the Empire owns everything. Meanwhile, Chewie and Fett are tussling still. They're not shooting out any blasters because they're trying to keep sort of out of sight and not heard or anything. And to confirm, the gang and Boba, they're hidden away like, as I said, quite far out the back, but they're behind like a few pillars and things. They're not near crowds like at all. Vader mentions his previous agreement with the Huts could change at any moment to the Black Sun or to the Crimora Syndicate or anything like that. And he comments that he senses fear with everyone. And the Crimora Crime Syndicate, I had to look this up because I wasn't overly sure where I recognised that name from. They are in Rogue One Catalyst as well as the book Tarkin as well as the book Aftermath. They're basically just a collection of lots of crime families who've come together. After Vader mentions he senses fear, Boku the Hutt then questions Vader, and without Vader actually answering Boku's question, he just looks at Jabba and says, who is he? And Jabba says, no one, which obviously upsets Boku. Back to Boba, he is fighting Chewie and then he uses a flamethrower, which obviously sets Chewie on fire. Lando then throws his cape onto Chewie to put the flames out, and Leia is now aiming a blaster at Boba Fett. He quickly disarms her and says that he doesn't want any more enemies. He gives her back the blaster and just tells him to stay out of his way. Jabba then speaks to Vader and tells him to take Han, and then Kira confronts Vader and asks for payment. Vader refuses, Kira then tries to kind of antagonise him somewhat, saying that the Empire is too poor or too cheap to do it, and so Vader ignites his lightsaber and looks at Kira. Kira then pulls out things which look to be vibroblades, and then they start to fight. Vader notes that she is trained quite impressively, and that she is using the art of Terus Cassie, which is something that Darth Maul taught to Dryden Voss, and it seems that Dryden Voss then taught Kira. Now, this is obviously set about a decade or so, if not a little bit more, after Solo. And obviously in Solo, Dryden Voss is killed, and then Kira is then directly connected to Maul. So one would expect that Maul probably trained Kira further. And you already get to see in Solo that Kira is still very well trained in hand-to-hand combat. It's also worth noting that the elite Praetorian guards from the sequel trilogy in Last Jedi, and also the Emperor's Red Guard, the Imperial ones that are seen in Return of the Jedi, both of those Red Guards are also trained in the art of Terras Cassie. It's a specific art for combating Jedi. And Terras Cassie actually first appeared in Legends, it was in the Shadows of the Empire, but there's actually a game called Masters of Terras Cassie. So Vader and Kira continue to fight, and eventually Vader grabs Kira with the force on her throat, lifting her in the air. She flicks the bottom of her weapon's hilt, which reveals a secret compartment. Some mini explosives fall out of the hilt and fall towards Vader. They explode and seem to hurt him a little bit, and then he uses the force and pushes out all around him. Now in the Legends game The Force Unleashed, that was called the Force Repulse. I don't know if in canon it's still called that, but it's basically force pushing out from every direction. After Vader's force push and everyone's kind of knocked to their feet, a few people sort of charge at Vader that are members of Crimson Dawn. He easily slices through them and then approaches Kira saying that few know Terras Cassie and it'd be a shame to kill her. And before he can bring down his blade, he then senses Skywalker because Luke is nearing the Vermilion base in his X-Wing. While distracted, Kira then manages to get away and speaks with Marlo, who is from Solo A Star Wars Story. She's on the ship. She is an Imrugian, she has chalk-like skin, and worked for Dryden Voss. And interestingly, she was actually created using concept art that was originally for Kira before they decided to make Kira human instead of alien. When out of earshot, Kira then says on some comms, because Vader got solo, you know what to do. And then it's also confirmed that Admiral Piet sorted out a comm link from Vader to the X-Wing, which has Luke on it. Vader tells Luke that he feels his presence, and he will cut Solo in half if Luke does not come to him. And so that's where War of the Bounty Hunters 3 ends, with Vader with his blade lifted in the air. Looks like he's about to cut Solo, who is frozen carbonite, in half. Nice little cliffhanger there. So with that in mind, we move on to the next comic, which is Star Wars number 16. It's called Missing in Action. It is written by Charles Saul. The artist is Ramon Rosanas, and the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg. It was released August 18th, 2021, and here's the crawl. Luke Skywalker joins Starlight Squadron to rescue Alliance leader Mon Mothma from an assault led by Imperial Star Destroyer Ultima II. During the mission, Luke has a vision of Darth Vader, which leads him to believe Vader is coming for Han Solo. Now, Luke must make his way to a planet called Jakara. 
So before starting on the story, I want to clarify, out of all six of these comics, although War of the Bounty Hunters 3 I'd say is probably the best one to read, the one that I think benefits visually the most from you guys actually physically reading the comic, be it digitally or otherwise, is actually this one, because this one is a lot about flashbacks and kind of like force visions in a sense, and seeing the visuals on this I think really helps to illustrate the point a lot more. So obviously I'm going to go through like I normally do, but I would recommend if you guys can with Marvel Unlimited or whatever, if you can and pick this one up yeah it's worth checking out so it starts off with Luke in his X-Wing heading to Jakara, and he thinks about his Cloud City fight with Vader, which is at the end of Empire Strikes Back. He mentions that Vader was like a storm, that he couldn't fight back, he could only really defend, and he could barely do that. And in this flashback, when he's thinking, he actually has a yellow lightsaber, which when I saw the first panel or so, I thought it might have been in error. I, I was sceptical to think it was in error, but I was like, is this maybe in error? And as the comic goes on, you can definitely tell there's intention behind it. So Luke is pondering about the fight with Vader, and he thinks that this time if he faced against him it could be different, although he does comment that Yoda was definitely right, that he left his training too early and that sort of thing. And he thinks to himself that he needs help. He tries communing with Ben, but he can't feel Ben through the Force, he can't communicate with him, obviously Ben being Obi-Wan, and Luke thinks that fear is the thing that's throwing him off balance. Meanwhile, in this Crimson Dawn ship, you've got Lando and Leia are arguing about getting involved when they can see, you know, Darth Vader's there with Han Solo and all those crime lords and whatnot. And so Leia communicates with Luke using the comms. She asks him for a distraction so they could then kind of sneak in there, grab Han, get him out of Carbonite, and then once he's out of Carbonite, they'd actually be able to leave with him. Luke says that he's on his way, and there is a Star Destroyer in orbit of the planet Jakara, with Admiral Piet on board. Now, Admiral Piet, his name is actually Firmus Piet, and he was actually in Empire Strikes Back as well as in Return of the Jedi. So in Empire Strikes Back, you see him get promoted when the Empire enters the Hoth system, and one of the Star Destroyers entered too close to Hoth and alerted the Rebels to their presence, which was Admiral Ozzel, who's got a nice little moustache. Vader says that, you know, you failed me for the last time, and then chokes Ozzel on screen, you watch him die, and then Piet is the next in line, and he steps up to the plate and becomes Admiral. And Piet actually stays the Admiral for pretty much the rest of his Imperial career, however he does die in Return of the Jedi, because he is at the helm of Vader's Star Destroyer, the Executor, and as I've mentioned numerous times across episodes of this podcast, the Executor, after having an A-Wing crash into the bridge, it fell into the Death Star 2 and got destroyed, killing Piet and everyone else on board. Board. So uh, yeah, that's who Piet is, because you probably would remember his name, because I have I think I've mentioned him a couple times, mainly with Ozzel. But uh, yeah, so continuing with the story, so Piet's on board the Star Destroyer, and he sends out some TIE Fighters against Luke, and there are a lot of them, like probably 20 plus. Luke flies around, and he notices there's lots of other ships around there, which obviously are from the other crime syndicates and things. So he flies near the Sontul Pride ship. And the Sontul Pride, you may remember them from the first run of Afro comics. There was a Rodian who was in charge of the Sontul Pride, and then Triple Zero went in there and basically enslaved most of the Sontul Pride, and then used their home base to stretch out across the galaxy from there and kill all the local other sort of crime syndicates nearby, because obviously triple zero along with bt1 have a lot of firepower and a lot of people don't expect a protocol droid and an astromech to be able to like kill armies but yeah, that's who the Sontul pride are i don't know if triple zero is at the helm of this at the moment he's not involved in any of these comics i think that triple zero is going to get some sort of return in the afro comics because it got mentioned in one of the afro comics recently but you know who knows i'm sure that'll happen at some point in the future but anyway luke is flying his x-wing and he flies near the Sontul pride ship and the Sontul pride say they're not going to shoot the tie fighters first because there'll be an attack on the empire but if the tie fighters hit their ship or they attack first then they might be able to do something to clarify, they're just talking this amongst themselves. Luke doesn't openly communicate with the Sontul Pride, he just flies near their ship. So the Ties are missing Luke's X-Wing, they do hit the Sontul Pride ship, and so the Sontul Pride set out some fighters. The fighters then engage with the TIE fighters, and you know, they're firing and shooting among each other, and then Luke manages to fly out of the way in all that commotion. The Star Destroyer that Piet is on then destroys the Sontul Pride's ship for basically getting in the way of the Empire, and then the Star Destroyer was going to shoot Luke's X-Wing, but instead Vader tells them to open up comms. And then Vader tells Luke to come down or he'll kill Han Solo. And then Luke has more flashes of the Empire Strikes Back battle. And they're really cool, as I said. I'm not going to spoil them here or go through them because it's much more of a visual thing, but they are very interesting. And then the final panels of this comic, you've got Leia in 
the Vermilion, the Crimson Dawn ship, and she is panicking and things. And Luke says to her that he's really sorry. He's not ready to face Vader yet. And you just see his X-Wing flying away from the Vermilion. And yeah, that is where the comic ends. Obviously, that was a very quick comic. There's not that many connections, but as I said, it is quite vision heavy. And a lot of it is like slightly altered scenes from Empire Strikes Back with Luke. There's one scene where Luke like cuts off Vader's hand instead of the other way around. There's lots of cool little things like that. They're very interesting and kind of getting into the mind of how Luke perceives Vader and how powerful he is to fight against and etc. So um, yeah, it's really cool, especially if you're a big fan of Vader. So with that in mind, we move on to our penultimate issue of the third installment of War of the Bounty Hunters, and this is Darth Vader number 15, and it's called The Assassin's Choice. So it's written by Greg Pak, the artist is Raphael Ienko, the colour artist is Jason Keith, and this issue was released in August 25th, 2021. And as you can expect by now, here comes the crawl. After Exegol, Darth Vader understands the true might of the Emperor's power. Vader must destroy Luke Skywalker, the one threat to his restored position. But others scheme in the shadows, and the dangerous Crimson Dawn Syndicate rises to challenge the galactic structure. Vader and his servant Ochi begin to uncover the truth. But can Ochi truly be trusted? Now you should recognise the name Ochi because he was in The Rise of Skywalker, um, but he's also been in the previous, well almost this entire run of Darth Vader comics really. Interesting character, someone I didn't think after seeing him in Rise of Skywalker would be such an interesting character and would even be involved in the Vader comics, but you know, kudos to Greg Pak for involving him. And this issue is very Ochi-centric. So although it is a good read, it is probably the least Darth Vader, Darth Vader comic that you could read in this run at least. I think there is a reason for it. I mean, personally I think the reason is probably because all of the comics are kind of having to follow the lead of the War of the Bounty Hunters. So certain comic issues are a little bit slower, but you know, reading them all together is still a very enjoyable ride. And I hope it's enjoyable for you guys to listen to me talking about them as well and about the many connections involved. So uh, with that in mind, let's get into the story. So Ochi is speaking to Vader via the comms and Vader is telling him to go into this bar. He goes into a bar, he fights a Chagrian, which is one of those individuals who is generally blue-skinned and has sort of long tentacles down the side of their heads. Maz Armeda from the films who you get to see, he's in the Clone Wars and that sort of thing. He's a Chagrian and also there's a character called Buckets of Blood that's in the High Republic and it's the High Republic Adventures. It's quite a fun character, he is also a Chagrian. Also I don't know if it's Chagrian or Chagrian, I think it's Chagrian, because it's C-H-A-G-R-I-A-N, but apologies for pronouncing things differently. Uh, but anyway, Ochi gets into a fight with this Chagrian, and he manages to get the invite to the Crimson Dawn auction. He then goes back to Boku the Hut with Vader, and Vader tells Boku to bid against Jabba in the auction, and Boku questions it, and Vader says that Boku would get humiliated, and that's the point, because if Boku wants to then betray Jabba the Hutt, he can do it because if Jabba kind of writes off Boku as being weak and under him and pathetic, then that's the perfect time to strike. They then leave Boku and Vader notes that Boku would have betrayed Jabba anyway, regardless of Vader being there, and Vader says that Boku is working with someone else, so he tells Ochi to find out. They're flying a ship on a planet and then Vader literally just throws Ochi out of the ship. He lands seemingly okay. They're not like ridiculously high up, they're not that high off the ground, but still, it's pretty intense. And then Ochi finds a couple of thieves that are planning on seemingly ransacking these people with a carriage. He kills two of them and then talks to a third one, who confirms that Boku is working with Crimson Dawn. And before Ochi knows it, he is surrounded by 15 other members of Crimson Dawn. And I want to add in here that this issue is very action-packed, so it does benefit quite a lot from you guys reading it if you're interested in Ochi taking out loads of thugs and be doing a big shootout and that sort of thing. Obviously, you know he survives because he's in The Rise of Skywalker, which is, you know, 30-odd-plus years after this, so it's not really a spoiler. But as a reminder, I do always take photos of the comics I talk about on this show. I do take a few photos of the inside of the comics as well. All subscribers to my Patreon at £2 a month or more will have access to these photos a few days before the episode's release. But if you guys are listening to this, then either on the day that this gets dropped on Saturday or potentially on the Sunday, so Sunday the 26th of September, around that time, the photos of these comics should be on there as well. And I've taken a really cool photo of Ochi in the middle of this shootout. So, you know, make sure you check that out. So anyway, Ochi is surrounded by, you know, 15 members of Crimson Dawn. There's a big shootout. He does all these crazy aerobatics and things. He kills about five of them, and then he says he's there due to Darth Vader. Crimson Dawn all laugh, and the leader says that they could kill Darth Vader. Maybe it wouldn't take a dozen of us, maybe it wouldn't even be a hundred, but maybe a thousand of them. Could he really take that many? And then Crimson Dawn offers Ochi to join them. 
Ochi notes that Vader's shuttle is flying nearby, but then the person who is speaking with Ochi, the member of Crimson Dawn, says that Vader is there to test Ochi, he's not there to help out. So in response, Ochi then shoots that leader person in the shoulder, then takes cover. It then, you know, there's a lot of shooting, a lot of panels and things, and then eventually it shows that Ochi seemingly managed to kill all of those members of Crimson Dawn and is just like laying on the grass. He seems to have killed about another 10 or so people, so he's killed like 15 members of Crimson Dawn by himself, and then Vader speaks with Ochi. Ochi says that he obeys the most powerful so long as that is Darth Vader. Vader then says always, and then this comic ends with the two of them now together being surrounded by even more Crimson Dawn members, and then it's like a big shootouty thing, and yeah, that's where it ends. And I want to clarify, I believe that, you know, because they got the invite from Crimson Dawn in this issue, it would have been before Vader actually got to the auction and things. Now, the timeline of all these comics is a little bit peculiar. I appreciate there's only so much one can fit into a comic and stuff, but on some of the comics, it says, oh, this is set before War of the Bounty Hunters 1 or 2 or whatever, and other ones it doesn't. I think on all the spin-off ones it does, but I think on the other ones it doesn't, but regardless, this seems to be, from what I can tell, between War of the Bounty Hunters 1 and 2. I probably should have said that at the start, but I only kind of realised when finishing it, but uh, oh well, the more you guys know, you you guys are smart, you probably figured that out, didn't you? So that might we move on to the final comic of this instalment, which is Dr. Aphra number 13. The issue is called Guest of Honour, the writer is Alyssa Wong, the penciler is Minkyu Jung, the inker is Victor Olazaba, the colour artist is Rachel Rosenberg, and this comic also came out August 25th, 2021. So the crawl for this one starts with Rogue archaeologists Dr. Afra and smuggler Sarnastaros are working for Domina Tague. The job? Infiltrate the most dangerous place in the galaxy, an auction hosted by the resurgent crime syndicate Crimson Dawn. Meanwhile, just lucky and Ariel Yu's old mentor has betrayed the Sixth Kin Syndicate and they've been tasked with assassinating him right under Crimson Dawn's nose. With all these crime syndicates and gangsters gathered in one place, what could possibly go wrong? So let's get this final issue underway. It starts with a flashback to the end of the 2016 Afra run, which I tackled in episode 63 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and it ends with Afra like trapping Vader and then managing to use his communicators to then contact the Imperials, pretending to be Vader, and then all of that kind of culminates together to get the Rebels more time on Hoth. That's the short answer of it. If you want the full details, either pick up the comic or yeah, check out episode 63 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. And that flashback ends with Vader saying that he will find Aphra. It shows Aphra now on the floor with like having a panic attack because that's where the previous issue sort of ended because she saw Vader and then you know, started panicking and things. Sana manages to grab Aphra and they manage to kind of slink away while Vader is distracted by Kira. Aphra confirms to Sana that she actually betrayed Vader to give the Rebellion more time on Hoth. And Aphra also confirms that she's still tracking Zet of the Black Sun, which is the Feline woman who had the really nice necklace that she liked from the last two issues. So they find out where Zet is, she's still cleaning stuff out of her dress that Aphra spilled on her, and they take her out in a sense of they just knock her out, they incapacitate her. Aphra then slices her floating camera droid it seems to be, there's no explicit confirmation that I can see of what kind of droid it is, but it's like a floating orb thing. And Sana notes that Zet actually has a Crimson Dawn tattoo. And, while she's saying that, Aphra finds some Crimson Dawn data on that droid that's with her, and confirms that Zet is a Crimson Dawn spy. Meanwhile, Just Lucky and Ariel Yu are fighting Cray, and it's confirmed his first name is Galen. So Galen Cray was their mentor, and he actually says that Just Lucky and Ariel Yu's differences should complement each other. You know, they've got so many different things that make them such a formidable duo, but instead, they're just letting their weaknesses take over, and they're just making each other weak. Galen goes on to confirm that when Delphys of the Sixth Kin is paranoid and would eventually kill Galen Cray anyway, which is why he got out of there, but he says that Kira is a visionary of Crimson Dawn and it's the right side to be on in the long run. Back to Aphra and Sana, Aphra gets the data necklace from Zet and then convinces Sana to be able to go around the Crimson Dawn ship to steal some artifacts and things for more money, because they're going to give this data necklace thing to Domina Tague to hopefully get her off their backs, but they will still need some money after that. Then back to Just Lucky and stuff, Galen Cray says to Just Lucky that his brother will be killed by Wendelphis one day, and it's only going to be a matter of time, so he needs to try and save his brother and then join Crimson Dawn to prevent that from happening. And while Galen Cray is saying all this to Just Lucky, Deathstick appears and then poisons both Just Lucky and Ariel Yu with some Dathomirian poison. She confirms that they will die without an antidote in 10 minutes if they don't surrender. And Galen Cray and Deathstick have like a back and forth, and Deathstick says, you were taking too long. 
Back to Sana and Afra, they explore the Crimson Dawn ship. There's like no one around, as in no one at all, which makes them a little bit uneasy. They manage to slice a door, and as this door opens, a big sentinel droid appears. And in the next comic, it's confirmed they're A3LN sentinel droids, if that means anything to you guys. But in essence, they are absolutely massive. It's like a big golem. By the looks of things, they seem to be like nine feet tall, if not bigger, and their chest is like the size of a wardrobe. So yeah, big and scary. The droid smacks Afra off her feet, then hits Sana very hard and knocks her out, and then goes over to Afra on the floor and gives her one good punch for luck and knocks her out as well. Then this comic ends with Afra and Sana both waking up in this prison cell, surrounded by some sort of ray shielding, as well as other sentinel droids and whatnot, and they can see some other prisoners also in cells on this Crimson Dawn ship. And that, my friends, is where this comic and the story element of this episode ends. Thank you, as always, for listening, guys. So uh, let's move on to what we've got coming up and some other interesting things. So the first thing I want to mention is that, obviously, you guys may have noticed I did a conversation with the all-powerful Star Wars couple, Star Wars Explained, which is Alex and Molly Damon. They have a lot of subscribers on YouTube. Uh, you can go and check that out for yourself. Star Wars Explained has been an inspiration to me quite a lot for, you know, this show itself. And just, it's really got me back into Star Wars when the new canon all happened and stuff you guys almost have to thank Alex for this show actually existing because I wouldn't have got into the Star Wars comics and the wider canon anywhere near as much if it wasn't for his YouTube channel but yeah I was lucky enough to sit down with the two of them there is a version of it on Genuine Chit Chat the exact same version of it is on this feed as well I believe it got released on Wednesday so a few days before this if you're listening on the feed of Comics in Motion then yeah you'll see it but if you're listening on YouTube then there is a full video version of it it's myself and Megan speaking to Alex and Molly it was about an hour long and it was a really really enjoyable conversation obviously the majority of it was about Star Wars but it was about some other stuff as well so you know if you're listening to this podcast you're almost definitely enjoy it so you know if you want to see the video version go to genuine chit chat's youtube channel or you can check out the audio version on this feed or on the feed of genuine chit chat either way but if you do enjoy it please make an effort to tweet at star wars explained uh, on twitter or tag them and stuff on any of the other social media places i just know they're a bit more active on twitter and let them know how much you enjoyed our conversation because it would just mean the absolute world to me and this is quite a big guest and you know in the realm of star wars content creators who aren't like adding and contributing to the star wars canon you know youtubers and such like you know they are a big deal it was incredibly gratifying being able to talk to them but Obviously, I want to keep growing the show and I want to keep being able to get bigger and bigger guests where I can. And this is the kind of thing which, with you guys listening as a community, if you could retweet the episode on Twitter, which it will be up at the point of this recording, it's got like a little snippet of our conversation that you will be able to find. If you could retweet that, if you can send it to some of your friends, anyone you know who likes Star Wars, check if they like Star Wars Explained. And if they do, aim them towards the conversation I had with Alex and Molly because it would mean the absolute world to me. But aside from that, what have we got coming up? So next week should be my next book review. I've recorded a little bit of it now, so I'm hoping the next week I'll have recorded the rest of it. So it's going to be about Into the Dark, which is the third book in the first wave and first phase of The High Republic. It's by Claudia Gray. It's a fun read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I read it quite a while ago now. For me, completely honest, I'm like two books ahead at the moment because they release quite... Every six months, they seem to release three High Republic books. So I'm, I'm going to vaguely, when they do a new release, try and do a book review like every two months or so. Um, maybe a little bit more quick than that I'm going to kind of see but some of the books are quite chunky so it does take a little while to not only just read them but also then make enough notes and things so that when I actually talk to you guys about them it's interesting enough as a book review but also you guys do get a bit of tidbits of information to take away with yourselves so that book review is going to be up next week as always they are spoiler free normally for a while I think with this one yeah it'll be I don't know if I'll split it into two or three but there will be at least a portion that is spoiler free and I'll give people ample warning before I delve into the slightly more spoilerish territory it has been out since january so i'm kind of leaning more so on spoiling certain elements of it i wouldn't necessarily reveal the ending but i think i would reveal more of the plot details because at the time the book didn't necessarily seem like it was having a big impact on the rest of the high republic and then when some more comics started to get out and things about the dren gear then it became a lot more prominent and a lot more important so that's going to be the next one uh, and then the book review after that which will probably be in about a month or so i guess will probably be the rising storm by kevin scott which is the next adult book in the first phase but the second wave of the high republic i'm currently reading race to crash point tower which is by daniel jose older and that is the junior read 
read a book. I just needed a break from something too intense because the junior rebooks are only like 150 odd pages and it's quite big text and quite small pages. So they're quite easy to get through quite quickly. And then I'll be getting on to Into the Shadows, which is by Justina Ireland. So, you know, I, I will be trying to get those book releases out. I'm going to try and make sure I read them all before January 2022 because that's when the next wave of book comes out. So there'll be the junior reader novel and the main adult novel come out in January and then the young adult novel will be coming out in February. So really with my book reviews, I've inadvertently done it in release order because they released the adult book and the junior novel at the same time. And then about a month later, they released the young adult novel. So didn't mean to do it in that way, but I did. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll continue doing it in that order. Probably. We'll see. Uh, but let me know what you guys think about that. I know a lot of you have been really enjoying my book reviews and I noticed that the numbers for the book reviews are generally quite high. So clearly a lot of people are listening to them, which I do appreciate. Uh, and then the week after that will be the first batch of the 2020 run of Star Wars comics. So that'll probably be, I think it's the first five or six comics. I seem to recall the first arc is only like three or four comics long, but then there's like a mini arc that's like two um, comics long. So I'll probably tackle those. Uh, and then, you know, that'll be what was said before War of the Bounty Hunters. So then it will be in a month after that, once I've done War of the Bounty Hunters 4, I believe I'll then do another episode of Star Wars, and that should, in theory, have caught up with the start of War of the Bounty Hunters, so that'll have all been sort of caught up and things, if it doesn't melt your brain too much, trying to think of those timelines. Although it's sort of apt, isn't it, considering Star Wars was released, you know, the original trilogy first, and then the prequels, and then 7, then Rogue One, then 8, then Solo, and then 9. So, realistically, that's why I'm doing it, because Star Wars is inconsistent with their timeline, because obviously they had to be in a lot of respects and so that's why I'm doing it it's not really I just didn't I, I just planned it in a certain way and it seems to be working out quite well at the moment actually it seems that whenever I have a release that's postponed for a little bit something major happens in the canon that would affect that episode anyway like the Kanan episode still baffled me with the Bad Batch stuff um but anyway so next week, the book review of Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. The week after that will be the first batch of the 2020 Star Wars comics. The week after that will be the final, or should be the final arc of the 2017 Darth Vader comics by Charles Saul, uh, which is maybe my favorite arc of any comics ever. I haven't fully decided, but it is absolutely excellent and I love it. I think it's like eight issues though, it's seven or eight. So it's going to be quite a chunky one. But I do recall one or two of the issues. Um, there's not a lot that specifically goes on. It's quite visual. So uh, I should be able to fit that in one episode without too much issue. Uh, and then the week after that would be Dr. Afro, but obviously I've all caught up with that. So I think the next thing I'm going to be tackling is probably Bounty Hunters. Um, so obviously at the moment we're doing War of the Bounty Hunters, and in this very episode I did a comic with Bounty Hunters, which is mainly about uh, Baylor Valance, who was in the Target Vader miniseries that I tackled a while ago on Star Wars Comics and Canon. So I'll probably do the first arc of that. I believe there are three arcs in Bounty Hunters before it gets to War of the Bounty Hunters. So I presume that by the time I fully finish War of the Bounty Hunters, I will almost be finished with the Bounty Hunters comics as well. Uh, and then after that, it will loop back around and then I'll be on War of the Bounty Hunters 4. Uh, and then after that, you know, I'll be on the next batch of Star Wars. And then after that, I will then start on the 2020 run of Darth Vader. And then after that, I'll be back to the second volume of Bounty Hunters and then probably a book review. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm getting quite ahead of myself. It is obviously only about a month or so until Halloween. And I am planning on doing one batch of the Vader's Castle comics by Kevin Scott. They're by IDW Publishing and they're basically anthology horror comics which are suitable for all ages and I've got a batch of them I haven't read them yet I've been saving them so I think I'll be reading that around Halloween I think that would be quite a cool thing to do then and I know that there's a third one that should be coming out of Halloween which is Ghosts of Vader's Castle as well so I'll need to pick up there's like three I think there's something of Vader's Castle Return to Vader's Castle and then Ghosts of Vader's Castle or something along those lines so I'll be tackling them probably in about a month's time as well so we'll see I'll have to take a look at when more of the Bounty Hunters comes out and you know when Halloween is and all that sort of stuff because I think I'd want to release the Vader one before Halloween so um yeah I'll figure it out and I'll let you guys know nearer the time really aside from that guys there's not much else to add obviously I keep harping on about the Star Wars Explained podcast please check it out and then share it with everyone you've ever met ever even if they've never seen Star Wars before and um I've got a Star Wars artist who will be coming on the show and we've got a date booked now it's about three weeks time I don't want to jinx it I'm not going to say who they are but what I will say is I did say their name in this podcast at some point so that's your nice little hint and things um on my Patreon I will be putting on the future guest list I will be adding their name 
there. So if you're desperate to know, you know, become a supporter of myself on Patreon at patreon.com slash genuine chit chat and give two pound a month or more and you'll get access to, you know, those early photos of Styles Comics and Canon that I release as well as the future guest lists. And you'll also get access to the full audio feed that has certain book reviews on there early as well as unsplit episodes of Genuine Chit Chat. So when part one drops in the normal feed, part one and part two drop and you also get at least one episode a week of my Afterthoughts show that I do with Megan which are like 10 to 20 minutes long of us reviewing either new films spoiler free like we did um, Shang-Chi the other day or there's other stuff that we're watching like we're re-watching the X-Men movies and also I've started doing a few comic reviews on there that aren't Star Wars so I've released the Three Jokers spoiler free review and then I've done the Death in the Family and Lonely Place of Dying review as well, which was filled with spoilers, but it's quite a famous Batman story. So if you're interested in that, you know, consider checking out my Patreon. Just for clarity, you get access to all the audio stuff that I mentioned if you donate just one pound a month. I keep saying donate. You're paying and you get extra stuff. So if you pay one pound a month, you get access to the audio feed. If you pay two pound a month or more, you get access to the audio feed as well as the future guest lists, certain other posts on there, and also early pictures of the Star Wars comics and canon photos and stuff make sure you check out the other stuff I've been involved with. The show notes are always filled with information on previous episodes and, you know, guest spots I've been on, you know, on Star Wars Timeline, as well as Have Not Seen This Podcast, as well as doing the Comics in Motion Mouse Book Club number two. Uh, I also had Jack from Comics in Motion. He came on my show a couple weeks ago. And then I've also got Rhea that I just recorded an episode with her this week. So that'll be out tomorrow, or at least part one of that will be out tomorrow with Rhea. And that's a lot of fun, that podcast. We had a we had a good laugh and it ended with us talking about how we would touch Jeff Goldblum's bum. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear that desperately, become a Patreon because you'll hear that um, the day after this is released. If you're not a Patreon supporter, you're just a normie listener, which is perfectly fine, then you'll have to wait another week after that. Um, but yeah, review this show, Comics in Motion, on anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you know, comment, tell me what you thought, give it a like, share with your friends, check out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat, check out my show, genuine chit chat reach out to me on social media tell all your friends about me scream my name from the rooftops and um yeah have a good time that's the main thing here uh, i really appreciate you guys all listening to the show especially up to the end where it's all just rambly nonsense i appreciate each and every one of you i will talk to you next saturday with the into the dark book review and as always guys may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.